1: We're like that business that's just bumping along, paying the wages, right? We're not investing in our own future and in our own impact. And so that's, that's for me, the difference. If you compound just that little bit of time that you can free up to reinvest in the future and you do that week after week after week, trajectories change. It's what separates the leaders that kind of do, a, do well to start with and then kind of stagnate and have an incremental progress after that, and the leaders that keep going and, and change the world
0: hey it's david and you're listening to leadership without losing your soul your source for practical leadership inspiration tools and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process thanks so much for joining us today and thank you as always for helping make this one of the world's top leadership podcasts so appreciate you helping spread the word for human-centered leadership and sharing these practical tools Uh, tactics and strategies with the managers leaders in your life, but most importantly, doing them yourself. And you're going to get a ton of practical tools and strategies today from our guest. Our guest today describes himself as, now this is his words, what you get if you were to put a McKinsey consultant, a slightly unorthodox pastor, and an entrepreneur into a blender. I'm not sure my blender is that big Richard but Richard Medcalf is the founder of X Quadrant and a trusted advisor to exceptional CEOs and entrepreneurs and their leadership teams. He's advised business owners and C-level executives for over 25 years and after a master's degree at Oxford University where he came in top in his years, Richard joined a premier strategy consultancy where he rose to become the youngest ever partner. So you're getting a sense this is an accomplished individual and then he spent 11 years at tech giant Cisco before founding X-Quadrant. And what brings him to the show today, if that weren't enough, he is the author of the recently published book called Making Time for Strategy. Richard Medcalf, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. David, hi. It's a pleasure to be
1: here. Uh, Looking forward to to doing this. And I'm also particularly uh, um, admired, admiring your um, your background. You have a lion in the background, which is <laughs> which must be a story
0: unto itself.
1: Uh, but we won't have to go there right now. So, yeah, some of our
0: for uh, some of our existing audience, there are familiar with uh, some of our stage set and studio set. So we've got yes, I a a, a physical lion here with representing courage and ideas and innovation. So that's what Richard's referring to. Richard, uh, as we get to know you a little bit, tell us about, take us as far back as you can. Before we started talking, I, I was mentioning my earliest memory goes back to when I'm 11. What is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader?
1: Mm. Yeah. I was thinking about this. Cause I know you asked this
0: a lot. And,
1: um, Actually, the one that comes to my mind, and it wasn't the one I would had prepared, actually, but the one that comes to mind right now in this moment is quite a bizarre... We'll see whether, you, whether it makes sense to you. But my sister um, was... She just passed away. But she was very severely mentally handicapped. It's really shaped who I am as a person and the impact I want to make in the world. And if I think about it, some of my earliest memories are really of me... Um, having to take care of her in some ways. Mm. Uh, she was epileptic. I had a catcher where before she was going to fall. I, and perhaps my earliest memory of really feeling that sense of responsibility was in a shopping centre. There was a, some kids my age, about, I don't know, I was about seven or eight, looking. She was, like, in a wheelchair or in a pushchair, actually, because she could walk, but she was, she'd be running around. So she was in a pushchair. And they were looking at her strangely. And I felt so protective... Uh, of her that I just remember I like, really I don't know something changed inside me at that moment I was like really um, determined to to be there for her I suppose and to care and that's not my definition of leadership in many ways um, I, I talk a lot about you know creativity uh, you know be, like creating a thing from 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 that doesn't exist to taking ownership and all these things but I think um, that time when I realized i need to make an impact in the world goes back to those kind of early moments and perhaps shaped who i am
0: so i'm not sure whether that quite answers your question but i think if you go to a formative moment that's definitely one it absolutely does you can't ever go wrong with your own experience and i uh that sense of responsibility of caring of protection uh certainly that's an aspect of leadership for uh and as and you just said even in the notion of creativity uh, in innovation, there's still that sense of responsibility and ownership that flows through all of it. So uh, there's a through line for me, for sure. And, and uh, you know, I'm sorry uh, uh, to hear about your sister's passing and knowing the impact that uh, your life together had on you.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize it for many, for many years. It was just normal for me growing up with, you know, with a handicapped sister. Then I realized, you know, I had this high-flying career. As You know, as you said, I you know, went to Oxford. I moved to France. I had I a huge life here. Got all these great jobs. I, I founded my own company. Got a great family. It's, it's amazing. And then my sister, she was at home needing 24-hour care. hmm Surrounded by people who are so caring for, uh, getting paid not much more than minimum wage. Let's face it. And so I work with all these extraordinary leaders. Some of my, you know, some of my clients they run billion-dollar companies. They run tech unicorn startups. They or um, well, scale-up companies. They, yeah, you know, they, they have all these extraordinary things themselves. And for me, I'm on that mission. I help these leaders who already got the resources, got the um, the relationships, the skills, the talents. You know, those are the people that can change the world if they put their minds to it. And that's what sets me on fire.
0: Yeah, it does. You can tell, and it comes through reading your book. You know, when you're talking about your sister or the work that any of us are doing, one of the elements that comes through in uh, in your books, and again, the name of the book is Making Time for Strategy. Our guest today is Richard Medcalf. And Richard, the sense of knowing what's truly important, of what matters most, of uh, that is a, a value and a theme that just resonates throughout the book so I'm mm. curious as we get into the the details uh, and there's so much in this book I want to unpack but um, at the at the treetop level what is it that motivated you to write this specific book
1: When I start working with my one-to-one clients um... You know, we're always up to something big, right? They're always wanting to ha- create a breakthrough project. So they're already successful, but they want to break through in some way. I call it multiplying your impact um, because uh, let's let's do something 10x bigger or do something dramatic. And yet the first conversations we always have are often, you know what, I'm just trapped in operations. I'm the CEO of my company or I'm a C- whatever it is, C-suite leader. And yet I'm doing stuff. I shouldn't really be doing it. My team should be doing it. Uh, oh, I'm getting pulled into the day to day. So I i know I'm not really, I haven't created the space to really do this next level stuff that we're talking about. And so I realised I was having so many conversations and, and dealing with it in quite a different way from a lot of the productivity advice out there, doing it on more of a transformational place. And I realised having this conversation so much that this was something that that we needed to share broader with with people, I ran I ran a, a couple of programs with um, with mid level managers, kind of high potential people uh, in in the organization. Again, it worked really really well, and I, so I realized there's something here that I want to share more broadly. Now I did hesitate about writing the book because I was like, you know what, I'm I'm about all this really big stuff. I want to really talk about you know changing the world and transforming your business. Does it make sense to come down and talk about? what might feel like a small subsection of that, mm. making making time. But actually I realized, no, I'm all about moving from the incremental to the exponential, right? Getting off the treadmill of the day-to-day to work on what's really important. And time is so key as part of that, that I realized, no, no, this is important. This is actually my mission in many ways, in, a, in, a, in one part of my mission, which is helping people um, think
0: differently about the opportunities available to them so that they can work on what matters. And that uh, that leverage, that approach to leverage is so dominant. So I would say absolutely the getting down and getting, yes, as practical as you do, and we're going to dive into some of those, uh, absolutely has the potential to 10, 20, 30 times leverage, uh, whatever it is that is important to the individual who reads it. So listeners, I highly encourage you to uh, to take, take some time to make the time for this uh, making time for strategy. You're going to get a lot out of it. All right, so let's dive into the book, Richard. So you introduce your topic, talking about how we live in a world of infinity. And this is one of those moments where like three sentences in, I know this is a book for us. Uh, I talk about one of my mantras that I share all the time is uh, infinite me, finite me, I'm sorry, infinite need, finite me, mm. all right? And so find my MIT, like you know, infinity, what is infinity? What's the world of infinity? And what does that have to do with strategy?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I yeah. I say we live in a world of infinity. I almost called the book "Managing Infinity" because that felt like it's the problem that everyone deals with. Um, so you have you know infinite messages, emails. You know the more you send, the more you receive, the more you send, the more that come back. <laughs> infinite content. Uh, the more podcasts we, we we watch, the more recommendations we get. The more movies we watch, the more recommendations we get. The more books we buy, right? There's just infinite. And social media, there's conversations that never end. We can always strike up another conversation with somebody around the world at any time. And so, we're in this position, as as you as you obviously know by your 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 own motto, that it's infinite. The workload keeps coming, and we can't beat that with productivity. So we sometimes think if we just work harder. We just plough through our list. We just get the stuff off our plate, but it never finishes. There's more, there's more stuff always on the plate. And so leaders just kind of go, well, where do I go with this? It, it's never ending. One of my clients, he was running a, a CEO of a, of a global company. He said he was getting up really early in the morning for one time zone, going to bed late at night, working with another time zone. Super long days. And he said, yeah, and I'm still not sure I'm really making progress on these transformational projects that I've been hired to do. It's like where else
0: can i go so that's if you like the kind of the problem statement uh, and it's so true i think there's not a not a leader listening to show that can't empathize with uh understands that i know the way i say it we're gonna die with an unfinished to-do list i mean there's there, there we never reach a, a moment where everything we could possibly do is done no just can't happen okay so if the idea here is not to be more productive. And you emphasize this throughout the book. I'm not talking about productivity. I mean, there are ways that's important, but we're not going from product, trying for just productivity. This is moving from productivity to strategy. Mm. Why is that mindset shift so important? Yeah, so in the book, I talk about the infinity trap.
1: So what happens when we get this, when we, when we face all this... Um, all these opportunities and demands on our time, and let's face it, the more senior we go, the we get even more of that. We we exposed to an even greater through, through, the throughput of this infinity coming at us. Um, when we're faced with all that, um, we tend to hit. Our instinctive response is to double down on what's already worked for us. So we go faster, doing doing what we're comfortable with, what we're good at. We go faster, solving problems, making things happen. We actually quite enjoy it because we, get, we can get a buzz from it. We're taking things off our lists. We're adding value in all these different ways. But that's the trap, because we start to get tunnel vision. We st- our world starts to, we, we feel we're focused. And in some ways we are. Um, sometimes we feel distracted, but either way, actually, we're limiting our view to the things that are noisy and in front of us. And we can't see those opportunities that are just off to the side. We can't see the breakthroughs. If we just took some took a step back for a minute, we'd be able to see, you know what, what we shouldn't even be doing this. It's another thing. There's a better question to be answering. There's a better relation. There's one conversation that might change anything. I, I worked with a, a client, um, uh, Susanna. She, she had just uh, taken on a senior role in a global um, pharmaceutical company. She'd been hired for t- because she was really great at a couple of key things. They wanted to do these two key initiatives that only she could really do. And I spoke. I was working with her, helping her on board. And um, when I spoke to her, she was talking fast. It's all fine. It's all great. So I slowed her down. It's like, okay, you sounded you're busy but good. Yeah, yeah, busy but good. Okay, well, tell me a bit more. And we slowed it down. And she was, and she went. Suddenly oh, went. Yeah, I'm doing this and this and this and this. Oh, that's great. Well, what are your key priorities? And she suddenly realized that one whole area that she'd been hired for she hadn't even touched because she'd found a bit of a niche. She'd come in. People went, oh, my word, this is amazing. They gave her lots of work and lots of projects and she was able to do this and wow, everybody. So she was feeling good, but she was one level below where she had to be operating. She wasn't even talking about one whole area getting onto that and and she hadn't spoken to a general manager in six weeks she realized her own direct boss
0: Mm.
1: not a serious deep conversation with her about goals priorities alignment and so she was missing her opportunity to really make a difference because she was so busy delivering at one level below where she should be and that's the infinity trap that's that's just a
0: great example of running so fast we don't see the opportunities you know, and as you're you're talking, one of the elements that I think is so important, and there's so many tactics and great practical things I want to uh, draw out, but it all starts with that mindset that you're describing. And and you said, you know, and we do it for a variety of reasons. It feels good. Ultimately, it feels good. We either feel valuable, we feel needed, we feel productive because I'm I'm knocking a lot of things off the list or what have you. But that sense of feeling good actually prevents us if we're not stepping back from it and letting it just be our, our every day like we're breathing that air but it's limiting us so how do we what steps do you recommend to change that mindset so that we're not so focused on the what's feeling good because i like to feel good mm. right but I'm, i'll feel better if i can do these other things and be more strategic yeah let's let's change that mindset and then we'll get into some of the the other uh, practical elements. yeah, so so you're right, so often mindset is a great place to start because
1: it's what we believe is necessary, possible, and desirable that actually determines what we do. so I actually one of the things I say in the book is that we can't free ourselves up from operations. We have to free ourselves up for something more important.
0: and
1: mm. so one of my clients himself up overnight because his wife was taken sick in hospital so he dropped everything and went to be with her but he had a more important goal so one great exercise that i i I recommend is uh, take a timer on your phone or whatever set it for three or four minutes no more and then just start to brainstorm what are the questions that if you had some time to really think about what are some really valuable questions that you could answer and you might come up with some, you might come up with, you know, how is artificial intelligence going to change the industry? Or you might say, how do I get, a, how do I have a deeper meeting with my, a deeper discussion with my, with my investors or my CEO? Or you might say, you know, what, do, <clears throat> what, what does my team specifically need if they're going to become more impactful? Or <clears throat> if we were to serve our customers much more powerfully than we do now what would we be doing differently or you know what do we need to stop in this business I don't know they all just questions just start to brainstorm I say don't stop writing just keep going quantity is everything just write as many questions as you can in three or four minutes what I find when my with my clients when I stop a coaching session with them halfway through and say I tell you what let's just do this exercise I'm going to go off camera for four minutes you do this I'll come back we'll see where we are when I come back and say, okay, just checking in, how are you doing? They normally tell me to go away again <laughs> because they're in the flow and they're suddenly developing this strategic agenda for themselves that they never had before. And they're like, wow, these are questions which, wow, yeah, now I realise the game I could be playing if I was working on these things instead of this other stuff. Hmm, now that's that's interesting. So that, that could be a good place to start. In the book, we can talk, you know... We, you know, there's plenty of things about mindset that I talk about, but I think one of the best places to start is just to start to think about what could be possible.
0: And it's the the principle here is it's hard to stop doing something or free yourself from something. It's much easier to free yourself for something. And so having a real good clarity around what it is you're moving towards and what it you is is you're, you're trying to achieve and whose benefit that is and what it's doing for you, for your team, for your business, for, for your family, whoever, or all of the above. Yeah, and, and, and I also also mentioned that the number one key performance indicator
1: for any leader's future success is the strategic time that you can invest in making your future better. It's a bit like, imagine we're a business a, as a person. Imagine we're a business and we're making zero margin, zero profit, In fact, we might even be losing profit right, which is like when we're overworking, we're burning out, right? We don't don't have any free, any margin to invest in the future. Well, that's a really precarious business. It's a business that isn't gonna grow very fast because it hasn't got much to invest. And it's a bit stuck. It's very very dangerous and and a bit stuck. Now imagine a business that's managing to generate profit. It can reinvest in its growth. It can reinvest in its future. It can build new capabilities. That business is gonna skyrocket. And most leaders, we're like that business that's just bumping along, paying the wage, wages just about, right? We're not investing in our own future and in our own impact. And so that's, that's for me, the difference. If you compound just that little bit of time that you can free up to reinvest in the future and you do that week after week after week, trajectories change. It's what separates the leaders that kind of do a, do well to start with and then kind of stagnate and have an incremental progress after that and the leaders that keep going and and change the world. And that's
0: why this subject fascinates me so much. You you can tell and there, there, that, uh, statement that you made that, you know, your number one KPI is the strategic time. That's your number one predictor of success. And as you're talking, I can, I I know for myself, I had so many times as I was going through this book where I, I would just, you know, have to set it down, lean back and go, okay, (laughs) he's right. And, uh, or acknowledging the times in my career where I'm like, yep, okay, I didn't get that. And this is my overall take on, on your book, Richard, is I wish I would have had this 20 years ago mm-hmm. uh, in, in my life, in my career. So many of these things I had to learn the hard way. And in some ways, some of them I am still learning or relearning in the context I'm in now. My encouragement as you're listening here is, and we're talking about strategy, you might be thinking, oh, that's something that the C-suite does And If you're in the C-suite, yes. But if you're not, Richard's metaphor that he just gave you is so important that you are a business of one. And what are you doing to create that space, profit, and energy to be able to reinvest in, your, in you? And that doesn't mean that you have to be aiming for a promotion up to the C-suite. There's a thousand different ways in which you can be building whatever version of you if you have the strategic time for that. Yeah. Hence why we're talking this today about this today.
1: Yeah. In fact, Here's the dirty little. Here's the dirty little secret about the book. It's not actually about strategy. <laughs> it's about the strategic, right? It's not about corporate strategy. It's about what is strategic for you, for me, right? What are the high value activities? Where's the leverage that we're going to
0: get? Absolutely. That's well, the and, let, and the the definition that gets to the definition of strategic time. So you said our number one KPI is the strategic time. That we invest and so you define that as the hours in your week you invest on the up leveling projects that put you and your team in a far better place to deliver on your operational goals in the future uh, and then you go a step farther and you say the most important project is something nobody's asking for
1: yeah it's the one no one's asking for um because we, we we're asked about operations right we we're asked basically for more of the same generally uh, and yet the thing that's going to make the difference is that where do we invest um, in the future so an example I, I give in the book very early in my career I was a an analyst in the strategy consulting company uh, all my peers I mean we were spending all our life building excel models business plans financial models this kind of thing and um, and we're getting billed for that right so that was the core the core role now I realized that there was things we could do differently. Rather than building the model from scratch, why don't I build some templates, some formulas, some geeky toolbars to format things quickly or whatever? And it took me quite a while to figure this out. I was relatively new to Excel at the time. I had to learn quite a lot. It took me quite a lot of long nights um, and time when I was not billing clients. And so my colleagues were like, Richard, why are you doing this? Like, build, do some work, bill it to clients. That's the guy. That's the game. And so I kind of. I practiced what I call strategic naivety. I was like, "Well, I, I understand that, but I just think this is going to be important, so I'm going to do it anyway." So I didn't worry about my my goals so much in that month or that two months. And what happened was I managed to build a really well designed template. It looked really beautiful. It was flexible. It could generate all the charts and things in different dimensions really easily. Um, it looked great, and it, I could do it. I could then build a business plan in a few hours where everybody else was taking a week. To do the same thing so suddenly i got to up level i had this time i could invest it in learning how to do business development and sales i learned to manage projects actually start to interpret the results uh in a deeper level than my colleagues who were just busy generating the results and you know, i ended up becoming the youngest ever partner in that in, in in that business not just down to those templates obviously but it's that mindset of saying i got a head start because suddenly i was so much faster i created I created space as a result that I was able to reinvest not in doing more and more of the same but in next level of activity and so yeah. that's just like an example of nobody asked me to do that but it made a big
0: difference and part of the the key there is you and this is I think it goes back to the infinity trap and there's still an element of shift there that so in investing time and energy to build your templates and to build a system that will allow you to be more efficient and effective you didn't just use that time to do more of whatever you were doing because mm-hmm. now you you could have done that you could have could said have, hey yeah. now i can get 50 projects done in the time of 10 and instead you applied that time in some other ways part of that and you get into this in the book part of that requires you to influence the environment the people around you because i imagine in that context you could have had people saying hey great now you can get these done so much faster mm-hmm and I don't know the context, the environment you were in or how that worked, but I do know from, from your book that you, you guide us through the process of having conversations with our peers, colleagues, our own managers about how we're navigating those to be able to make the time and protect that time Mm. to work on these most important projects.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Influence is a key part of this. This is why it's not just a productivity challenge. Um, Tactics is part of 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 the issue, right? Sometimes we do need we do need a plan to extract ourselves from the busyness. That's very tactical, right? We do need some upgrades to our workflows. Some of us, right? um But if we can't then renegotiate our commitments with all the people around us, we're going to be subject to all the pressures uh, of of you know if our boss is expecting the report every week. Well, you know we can come up with a plan not to do that piece of work because we don't think it's very important, but we're gonna be on the hook for it, okay? So we need to have a plan. And perhaps there is a conversation there to be had. We're actually going to going to your boss and saying, look, this report that we do, that I do every week, I'm not sure it's, you know, given all the other things that, you, that, that we've agreed about uh, that we need to do together, I'm not sure this report is necessarily the highest return. Can we talk about perhaps doing it monthly? Could we talk about simplifying the report, giving it to one of the team? There's different strategies I talk about in the book, but, but re- having that negotiation, that agreement, and coming up with something which he feels comfortable with or she feels comfortable with and you feel comfortable with, now you've got your key, your senior stakeholder on your side. They're not pulling you back to the status quo. I I like to say when, when we go on a diet or something, you know, it's only our family that wave the chocolate cake under our noses because they don't, they want to eat the cake and they don't want to feel bad about you, you know, eating the cake in front of you as you virtuously decline. So they're the ones that are likely to kind of bring you back to the comfortable way of operating. And that's the same with our colleagues and stakeholders at work as well, when it comes to this kind of activity.
0: Absolutely. You know, when you're having that conversation with your manager, uh, you know and you just gave us a number of different ways to approach it one of the questions that I think uh, is helpful there and I'd be curious your take on it is to have the conversation about and and I don't want to just say hey boss why is this important <laughs> it's more of a uh what's the outcome that this helps us achieve what are we trying to accomplish here and let's see what the most efficient way we can get that is and and if there isn't a good reason sometimes that will surface and then other times it's no there is a real good reason but then now we can start finding all the alternative solutions that you were describing uh i'm wondering if you have any guidance around those kinds of negotiating those types of conversations Mm.
1: yeah i think um so first of all you need to kind of understand the balance of power in the conversation clearly when it's your your boss you're going to have to really or you're somebody senior you probably can't just impose something on them you're going to have to really help them see the win in it okay when it's with your peers there's a bit more give and take uh and you can kind of collaborate together obviously when it's downwards in the organization i'm not saying you want to just tell people because they're going to have constraints but it's a little bit easier to say we do need to make this happen and then we can talk about the how um i think the way for me the way of setting up that conversation there's various approaches we can we can use but I think that you know the key one as you said is first of all um put yourself in their shoes like uh, they, they might lose something here what are they going to gain it's it's really an investment proposal you're putting on the table for them it's like I'm asking you to make a trade-off I'm asking you to give up something in order to get something else um Now, that's something else might be something, you know, might be directly relevant to them. It might be the bigger organisational success that they're also fighting for. If it's your manager, I think often there's a lot of common things. They know the projects that you're meant to be working on. So let me give you an example. One of my, um, probably makes it easier than the the theory. Um, One client I worked with was uh, on the C, just been um, promoted to the C-suite of, of his, uh, the very large business he was working on. And I was helping him really be a strategic leader, uh, really re- roll out some transformations across the company. And a, a few weeks into our engagement, uh, he came to me and said, "It's all been going well, but recently I've really been realizing I'm spending too much time in my inbox. I'm just dealing with all this stuff. And, and, um, and so I said, well, what's going on? Well, I just need some more email tips, I think. I'm just getting stuck. I was like, oh, you're paying me too much money to get a tip. <laughs> um, but we dug into it. I said, well, you know, what, um, what's going on? He said, well, you know, I need to be trustworthy, reliable, a good team player. And so I need to deal with all these emails. Otherwise, I'm going to be that...
0: Responsive.
1: <laughs> yeah, the- well, yeah, responsive. And also, I don't want to be that guy who's holding everybody back, holding everybody up. And I want to be a good team player. That's, that's who I am. And so... I was like, okay, fair enough, I can't help you. What do you mean you can't help me? Well, I'll go against your values if I tell you just not to do your emails, because then you'll be not a team player, you won't be reliable, you won't be responsive, you know, you, you won't be um, trustworthy. But tell me, what do your stakeholders think? And we went around, we talked about the CEO, the investors, the customers the employees. And basically, it's like, well, yeah, they all want me to do this transformational stuff. It's going to change the company. It's going to make employees' life easier. It's going to free them up for the customers. It's going to hit hit the bottom line. It's going to to be great. So I was like, okay, well, I see it then. You're getting paid the big bucks to do the transformational projects. And so when you are in your inbox, trying to people-please basically all these different people, you're actually being untrustworthy, unreliable, and not a team player you're not doing what everybody wants you to do. Mm. And that was the mindset shift he needed to go, oh, yes. Now, obviously, at that point, so he didn't need any tactical tips from me because he'd got the identity shift. Oh, yeah, he's a key leader. He's got big things to do in the world. He can't be at everybody's beck and call. Now the question is influence, right? He's not yet done. He's got it, but he's still got his CEO who's texting him all the time. So he's got his insight, he's got his transformation, but he's now got to get the benefit. So he has to go to the CEO and say, Look, um, I'm really focusing on carving out time for these key transformational projects that we've agreed will be, you know, game changers for us. I'm realizing that I'm that I'm getting permanently distracted by, by being responsive to all the different people. And so what I'm trying to do is carve out whatever Monday mornings or not from nine to 11 every day to really focus on this project. Can I ask, you know, um, I'm aware that you send me, often send me WhatsApp messages or text messages. I feel real need to reply to those messages immediately. Can we agree that in that period, I don't have to feel that pressure and I won't, I won't pick up my phone when the, when the phone rings in case it's you. Now that's a conversation. Now, who knows what the CEO will say. He might say, absolutely, it sounds great. I'm glad you're really focusing down on the project. Or we might have some reservations. Ah, oh, but sometimes something happens and I really need to speak to you. And I, you know, there are emergencies. In which case, you're now in a negotiation. Define okay, well, it's just an emergency. How about I give you a priority? You know, I make you a VIP on my phone, but not on my messaging. So if you want to, if you really need me, you call me, the phone will ring and I'll pick it up any Whenever. if you send me a message i'm going to assume it's not so urgent and it can wait two hours how does that sound okay let's try that okay we're good and now you've got your ceo enrolled as a key person who's going to help protect your strategic time so this is an example of like um how creating an agreement with somebody and helping them understand why it's relevant to them i think will actually turn this impossibility of i can't i can't do it because my ceo needs to speak to me suddenly it's it's completely possible
0: i love all of the elements of that conversation starting with okay what is your identity and your values then to the mindset shift of you're not actually living in integrity with your values if you're caught up in this whirlwind that isn't uh, ultimately in alignment But even once that's happened, you make those decisions, now I've got to go have the conversations. And you just gave us a fantastic example, and I would encourage readers to get the book because there are so many more examples in the book of exactly those uh, kinds. And and Richard, you have a a variety of scripts and downloads and all sorts of things that people can benefit from uh, with some very practical ways to do that. While we're on the topic of downloads and so forth, mm. I'd love if you could tell us where our listeners should go to learn more about you, the book, get some of these resources, all those good things. Sure. So, uh, first of all, everyone
1: can find me on LinkedIn. I write a, uh, a what I hope is a value-added post every day on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, really trying to give something that's, that's actionable and, and, and insightful. Uh, but funny, the main place to go is to the website. It, my company is called X Quadrant. And you can go to xquadrant.com. And in fact, what I'm going to suggest is if you go to xquadrant.com slash soul, I've put together just a little page for listeners of the podcast. Um, it's got a few resources, especially around the book. It's also got, it's got a link to my LinkedIn profile. It's, it's, it's got a link to the book. But also, it's, it is a link to an assessment, which is, um, allows you to actually understand where you are on this journey of making time for strategy. Um, and... Where should you start? Because the worst thing we can do is try to work on the wrong area at the wrong time. So let's imagine that you are, um, you're really great at the tactical element, but actually influence is where you fall down. You need to start working on influence or perhaps your mindset is actually getting in the way. It's important to know that because there's no point working on tactics like the conversation I just had. No point working on your Gmail filters if your mindset is I need to respond to everybody. Yeah. And so this assessment allows you, first of all, to get the overall score of where, where might you be on the journey, but also to pinpoint where might you start and what's going to give you the quickest return. And then you can just literally turn to the page in the book if you want to get the book and just go directly to that 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 part of the book. So that, that's something which I'd recommend people do. It takes about two minutes to do that assessment.
0: Highly recommended. Again, the website is xquadrant, all one word, dot com slash soul, S-O-U-L, for all those resources. And you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that, uh, Richard. Uh, again, we're talking with Richard Medcalf, the author of "Making Time for Strategy," and uh, and Richard, you were just mentioning that uh, the value of the assessment is it doesn't make sense. And this is where sometimes we'll want to do this; we'll we'll get frustrating. I'm going to go talk to my coworkers or my boss and say, "Hey, listen, I can't do this during this time. I got to focus." But we haven't done the shift in ourselves mm. to be in alignment with that, and so we're really. Making them the bad guy, or them the the you know the author of our overwhelm, when in reality we haven't done the work ourselves.
1: Yeah, I, I like to say that um, a lot of leaders believe that they take full ownership and that they are like in control of their you know they take ownership right. They're leaders, that's why they're there. But then I say, well, how about your time? Oh, you know, I don't have enough time. Well, that's just that's a victim mentality. I kind of push them like we all have, we we all are perfectly busy. And I have to say, you are perfectly busy. You've designed your exact level of busyness. You've accepted a certain level of busyness. When I say that to people, they have to often stop and pause and think, really? Because it feels like it's not what I want. But on one level, it is what you want. It's what you believe is necessary and possible uh, and desirable for you in your current context.
0: And when you hear Richard say that, he says it with such a smile and kindness that it's like, oh, yeah, OK, but wait a minute. If you really stop and think about that, like, wait, 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 what are you I chose this. Well, on some level, yes, we did, yeah, so uh, so thats so that's why mindset
1: you know it's we never see the mindset shift we need to make until we've made it almost, right, mm-hmm. which is why it, it is a key part. um you know we, I, we're kind of talking around the subject there's i I put the, the there are four challenges in mean you know, I go through in the book, right? there's tactics, we talked about some tactics, we do need that uh, there's influence, we talked about that, there's mindset. Talked about quite a lot. And this environment, because as a leader, we need to focus not just on ourselves and our own strategic time, but create the environment where our team can actually get rid of their low-value stuff as well, for them to focus on what's important. So if nothing else, we can actually delegate some stuff often, right? We create some capacity. Um, so my my particular delight was when I realized that those four areas spelt the word time, right? Which is the kind of the core of the book, which I was particularly um about. I've been using it in, in my consulting work, but I'd never seen it with those letters because I talked about like the, the leadership challenge. I thought, well, that's actually influence, right? And then I talked about, you know, the tactics and then I thought about mindset. And, and so suddenly it realized that this is the difference. This is what people miss. They're focusing on one thing and it's often the wrong thing. Like I'm going to be more productive. I've got to like be more focused. Well, possibly not. Possibly. Actually, you might want to be less focused. When you're less focused, you can <laughs> see the bigger picture. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's why we have to focus on the right thing at the right time. It's what I have most of my clients spend their time doing. And they live in worlds of complexity. They're CEOs, they're, they're C-suite leaders, they're entrepreneurs. They have all this complexity. And it's when they kind of go, okay, what's truly important in all of this? And where's the lever that actually will move everything? Because there's plenty of levers that you can pull and it doesn't really change anything because it's not the constraint So I'm always really curious, where's the constraint? Where's the limiting factor?
0: Where's the weakest link? And that's where we need to start. And again, back to the value of the assessment that you offer, you know, uh, with the time we have left, obviously, again, so many different practical tips, tools, strategies that you've you've got suggestions here to help us make time for strategy. Um, I wanna highlight a couple more things, Uh, just draw some different elements out of the book and and have you uh, elaborate on them if you would. Um, One is this notion, there's a temptation when we're thinking about this. And and I say we, because I mean, I will raise my hand. I know I've been guilty of this so many times. You know, just let me get through this quarter. Just let me get through this month. It'll be quieter next quarter. It'll be quieter next month. It'll be quieter next. It'll be quieter someday.
1: (laughs) It's never quieter, is it? No, you know, I've got I've got a little um, a little thing which I'm going to try to do now. It might shock your listeners, so your sound editor might have to watch out. I have, I have this little thing which I got when I was a kid, and it and it makes a noise like this. It moves at you. It's one of these cow things that moves at you. And um, as I, you know, when somebody says something like that, like either a really generic thing. So if they say, to Richard, I just need to listen more, I'm like, moo. Because it's like, everyone says that, right? And like, what does it really mean? When are you going to do it? Make it specific. But again, when people say, yeah, it's just a busy period right now, Richard, it's like, moo. Everybody tells me that all the time. It's just a bit busy. Of course, it's busy. It's now. I mean, You've still, three, you know, next quarter hasn't arrived yet. Believe me, when next quarter comes, there's going to be something. There's going to be a pandemic or a war or supply chain crisis or, you know, your boss is going to have a new project or there's an M&A or, you know, there's going to be something next quarter. And yet we convince ourselves that right now it's looking quite empty. And so the time is always now, right? The time is now to invest in ourselves and to invest in the future. If we don't do it now, when are we going to do it? And I think it's so important. You know, uh, another thing that really changed who I was, you know, it, who I am. You know, my mother died, at age 59. I wasn't super young. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a kid. I, I was I was growing up. But she died before she ever got to her retirement. And so the time is now. Um, she actually made a big impact. She was a, she ran the charity to do with my sister's condition. Uh, so she had a huge impact at the end of her life, actually, really amazing. Uh, she never set out to do it, but she, she did it. And so I think for, for me, I, I'm always really putting a value on time. You know, it's like, if we're not making investing in now so that we can have an impact, then do we really think we're going to be in a better position next month to do that or next quarter? Like, what do we actually need before we can do those investments? It's normally
0: a mental game. It's not the external world. If I'm not going to do it now, I'm not going to do it. As, as part of the reality, these uh, these truths that scattered throughout the book, I hope if you uh, I hope you pick it up and I hope you read it because they will they will hit you and, and cause you to stop and think and hopefully make some different choices. Um, a couple tactics that you recommend is we've been talking at different levels and then you've really. got some different kinds of tactics. Um, I had not heard this term before, but it makes perfect sense when you describe it in terms of scheduling and how you are managing your calendar. Your your diary, forts and boundaries, and mm-hmm. getting to this notion that every yes hides a no. So there's a principle, but then there's the specific tactics of forts and boundaries. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it's actually forts and prisons. But it's the same I'm sorry, thing for- like- I apologize. Mm-hmm. Forts and prisons. You're absolutely right. Yeah, there's forts one. and
1: prisons. Yeah. So first of all, every yes hides a no. I actually got a book review on the book, and and they highlighted this phrase as being questionable. <laughs> like every yes hides a no is the least questionable thing you can say because. <laughs> Uh, otherwise it's we're infinite right we are finite as you said every time we say yes to something we are clearly not when we we're using up some of our time and attention that we could have used on something else i'm
0: just wondering like had the person never had economics i mean you're talking about opportunity cost right like every yes hides a no i know it's hilarious um quite respected uh, publication anyway so it was funny but
1: um so every yes hides a no so when we're people pleasing, for example, we're just saying yes to the person in front of us, and we're not thinking about the impact on our family, on on the customers or other stakeholders who aren't in the room, on our own health, on whatever it is. There, we're always there's always a cost to every yes. Um, so that's kind of I feel like uh, one of the principles. Um, but very tactically, what I suggest is, you know, we need to create forts and prisons in in our diary. And so forts are things that we, you know, forts basically keep things out right? So they, they protect um, they, they protect it from the outside world. And so that's really your strategic time. So you want some time in your diary where you can actually think about and work on the things that make a difference, the things which no one is asking you to do. Um, so those are thoughts, because you need to have them, you need to protect them. I'm going to say, make your thoughts smaller than you think you need, Because often we try to go big, we put big swathe of time in our diary. We find we can't, we haven't got the muscle yet to actually sustain that and protect it. We're not, um, and therefore then we just don't do it. You know, we do it the first day. Next week it comes along, we don't do it. The third week we feel guilty, we do it half, and then we kind of give up because we're just feeling bad about it. This doesn't work. So I want to say put a small amount in. Like, what's the smallest amount you can actually do um, on a regular basis? It might be fifteen minutes on a Monday or something. But then if you do 15 minutes and you feel you want to do an hour, go for it. But you can already declare success and feel a win at the end of 15 minutes. And then you'll start to go, well, yeah, this strategic time makes me feel good and you want to do more of it. So create a fort, but create a small fort. And then the other one is a prison. Like when are you going to do some of the things um which you need to kind of keep contained. So it might be email. I think one would be like, have a slot for doing your email, perhaps if that works for you. For me, I, for example, um, uh, I'll do certain admin tasks on a Friday. I have a, like a prison, like that's when I'm doing it. I'm not going to pay the bills and do the rest of it throughout
0: the week. I'm doing it on that slot on a Friday. So the prisons... So- the prisons are for things that, if we don't contain them, they can just expand and just eat up Like email, you can just sit there and watch your email come in and just spend your entire day lost in email. Yeah, and many people do that.
1: But no great life or no great business was built from the post room, right? <laughs> so, but people, that happens, and so that that's a great example
0: of of a prison. We're trying to keep things keep things in. Okay, so forts and prisons. Forts to keep things out and protect the time for those that important project that no one's asking for. Prisons to constrain things that could otherwise soak up all the time. Uh, and starting small. That was another principle you just got in there. Start small so that we're not over-building and over-structuring. It's like you were asking your clients, take three minutes off camera to write out that list of items. And after three minutes, well, now they have some muscle to say, go away, Richard, I want three more minutes. They yeah. <laughs> just double their time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Often we we make things you know, we procrastinate on things because it's too big, it's too scary, right? But anyone can take three minutes, um, and it's really important actually because one of the biggest issues people have with strategic time is when they get there, they don't know what to do with it. So they go, I don't. Uh, I put in my diary like, think. Oh, I don't want to think about. It's ambiguous. It's vague. It's unrewarding. I don't know when I finished it. Uh, I'm not going to get the buzz. I may as well go and do my emails instead because there's a lot of things I know I need to do. And so we we skip our own commitment. Mm-hmm. And that's why actually generating some questions, there's various other things I go through in the book about how to really build a strategic agenda, really, for, for what you want to be up to. That then allows you to go, oh, yeah, I've got an hour and I've got my list of questions here, right. Hmm. What is going to change in my industry in the next two years I need to be thinking about? Or... Or, you know, how am I going to get a meeting with the president of this company or this country? You know, those are the interesting questions, but you need to have them before
0: you go into it. Back to the principle of we're not making time from, we're making time for. So making sure that we have identified what it is we're making time for. So when we get there, we're able to, to focus without Do that. It. Yeah. yeah. All right, I think we have time for one more practical uh, and I'm, I'm looking through my list of all the things that I highlighted <laughs> and, and tried to choose. Uh, well, uh, let me ask you Richard because i've got success checklists i've got energy barriers i've got mm-hmm. you know, a variety of different things here. Um, if you had to think of something we haven't talked about yet that'd be one more tactical. In terms of making time for strategy, in any of the the T I M E that that yeah. tactics, influence, uh, mindset, uh, environment that we haven't talked about, what would be that for you?
1: Yeah. Um, okay, and let's actually go into the environment area. Um, so we haven't talked much about that. That's really about how we start to create a culture of 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 of, um, of strategic focus in in our team um and there's various things that's important there I mean the first thing is just to start to talk about it and create language around this so people start to even know that strategic time is a thing and it'd be good for them to have it and have that conversation um but I think one of the one of the interesting things is actually to start to talk with the team and say you know what like when could we do that as a team like is there actually time where we want to like um but perhaps as a team together we like teams have team meetings and they're all they're all they're all aligned on their diaries but is there for example is there a half an hour slot in the week where we basically say you know what we don't we don't ping you know we don't ping each other on a Monday morning or you know or between 10 and 9 and 10 on a Monday or on a Tuesday or whatever that's that's tragic time right and actually we've ask ourselves as a team about what do we do what are we working on that nobody else is asking us for? For example, let's talk about that in our team meetings. So perhaps just one or two minor shifts to your system could actually have a ripple effect on your team. Um, so when I work with my clients one to one, I often start working with them, and then we often get on to the fact that the team is the next, it's the next bottleneck. Right? It's like I need my team to start to step up. And so th- those two simple things, like rather than just saying let's all be flexible, guys, well, actually, agreeing on a on a piece of team culture let's all spend at least 15 minutes on a monday and then on a team call on a wednesday let's just quickly ask ourselves you know, check in what's one thing we did in the last week that is strategic time, and just start to celebrate each other and build that up and actually if we're in a culture where people are doing that and celebrating it and getting inspired by each other wow you know david's just built a, you know just david just called up a customer that you know, um, we never thought about getting in touch with and things are happening or um, someone's got a new perspective on the industry and what we might be doing as a team. Fantastic. When we start to get that, that starts to
0: open up perspectives. And for our longtime listeners of the show, when you're thinking about uh, uh, courageous cultures and drawing out innovation and ideas and solutions from your team, going back to that principle, if we want people thinking creatively, they have to have time to think creatively. And Richard's just given us a great strategy and a tactic to help start to build that culture. Again, doesn't have to be huge, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, and to build what's gonna work. And I love that encouraging and celebrating those wins as they happen uh, to really reinforce and build that culture. Another fantastic tip. One of, I mean, Richard, we just scratched the surface. You have got so much value for readers of this book. Uh, Again, we've been talking with Richard Medcalf. The title of the book is Making Time for Strategy. And uh, uh, listen, I can't emphasize enough, if this is uh, valuable for you, if you're wondering how do I invest in myself, how do I invest in building uh, the, the up leveling the, and maybe making time for bigger picture strategic things, or even at an individual team leader level, how can I be more effective? How can my team be more effective? You have to make time for the strategic. Richard gives you the roadmap to do exactly that. So I hope you'll take advantage of the book. Richard, thank you so much for being a guest today on uh, Leadership Without Losing Your Soul.
1: David, it's been a great pleasure. I've really enjoyed this, and uh, hope um, hope you've
0: enjoyed it as much as I have. It's been a, it's been a blast. I, I really have, and I had one of those uh, cow moo noise makers myself at one point in my life, and <laughs> so you brought back the memories. <laughs> All right, listeners, uh, make time to be strategic, and be the leader you'd want your boss to be.